How's everybody doing this morning? You know, God is so good. He's God. He doesn't know how not to be good. He is all-powerful. He loves us, his children, with a passion that I don't even think we can begin to understand. In this series on margins, the first Sunday we talked about margin in our relationship with God. Last Sunday we talked about margin in our relationships with each other. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the most important thing I want you to do, Jesus said, is to learn to love me and learn to allow me to love you back. That's, that's number one. And the second thing is just as important as that, and that is learn to love your neighbor, the people around you, as you are learning to love yourself. The first two Sundays, we talked about that, putting margin that will actually allow us to do that. These next two Sundays, I'm going to talk about this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the, the most important issues for us as followers of Christ. The two issues that we tend to struggle with more than others. And today, you've already seen your notes. You know we're going to talk about worry. You know we're going to talk about stress. We do this. We're told in Scripture not to do it, but we do it anyway. I, I, I opened up my, well, I didn't open up my dictionary. I pulled out my phone this week as I was as really nailing down for sure what I wanted to talk about and how I wanted to say this this morning. And, and, I, and I, Googled, I, I Googled worry. And, and here's the definition that, that I found on Google. To give way to anxiety, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. To torment, this was another one, to torment oneself or suffer from disturbing thoughts. And so then I sat down and I made a list. I made a list of the things that, that, that worry, the bad effect that worry has on us. And, and I got to tell you, I'm just giving you the short list because there was so much. One of the things worry does in your life and in my life is it destroys contentment. We've been in places in life where we are totally content. We're living in peace, and everything is just right. Worry devastates that. It destroys it. Spiritually, worry takes us from the place of living in faith to living in fear. Worry will just move us. It'll, it'll, it'll change spiritually where we are and what we do. It drains us spiritually. Worry drains us emotionally. Worry will drain us even socially in our relationships. It drains us physically. I made a whole separate list just for physically, and this, again, is the short list. It, it, the doctors will tell us that it weakens the immune system. Worry will give you ulcers. It will give you acid reflux. You will have anxiety because of worry. Panic attacks. Your blood pressure will change. 
Many people have backaches because of worry, migraines, chronic fatigue, problems sleeping. And then there's a whole separate list of stomach issues from worrying. This list alone will make you worry. It, it, it has no, it has no, well, I'll tell you what. Since we've looked at a list of the bad things that worry does, let's make a list together of the good things that come from worry. You're taking notes this morning. Grab your notes. Grab your pen. We're going to give you these real quick, and you can write them down. Here's what worry will do for you. Zero, zip, zilch, nada, nothing. Those are the good things that worry. Worry has no good effect in your life and in my life whatsoever. And in Scripture, we're just flat out told, not to do it, but yet we worry. We do it, and some of us worry a lot, and some of us have things going on in our lives that give us great cause for concern, and, 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 and so we find ourselves in stress as a result of worrying, of because of uncertainty in our life, because of burdens that we're carrying. Some of us may, some of us are here this morning and you came to church and, and there's something going on in your life and, and it's a burden and you came here weighted down with worry. And we're told in Scripture not to do that, but, but it's, it's very difficult to just not do that. I, I want to go to Scripture, and I, and I, want, to, I want us to, there, there are about five points that I want us to write down quickly this morning, and that I believe will help us move down the path of living a life without worry. How do I free myself up from worry? And the first one is you find your problem areas. I find the problem areas. I actually pinpoint the reason that I'm worrying. In other words, if I'm stressed and I'm worried, you and I have to really stop and recognize, why am I worrying? What's the reason that I'm worrying? What's the reason for my stress? If you're driving your car down the road and all of a sudden your car stops and you pull over and you coast over to the side of the road, you have to find out what's wrong with your car before your car is going to run again properly. If, if, you, if you wake up and there's an intense pain in your body, you, you need to go to the doctor to find out what that pain is from so, so that you can solve the problem or begin to address the problem. If, if all of a sudden an important relationship in your life just goes, goes awry and things go bad, you, you, you need to stop and figure out, wait a minute, what happened here? How did we get like this? What's, what's going on? See, you, you and I need to, if, if we're dealing with worry, that our tendency is to keep, keep on muddling through it. And, and although this, this is how life is. And God says, no, no, you need to stop. And you need to figure out what the problem is. Look what David says. And this is a passage of Scripture that a lot of times we don't even think of it in these terms. But look, look at David here in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. This is David talking to God. Know my anxious thoughts. David's saying to God, help me see what I'm doing here. Even my thought process that is causing me to do the things I'm doing. See if there is any offensive way in me, David says. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to recognize the problem and put your solution to the problem so now I'm back where I need to be and back on the right path. We don't do this. This passage of Scripture reminds me that from time to time, I need to come to God and say, Lord, would you just do a checkup on me? Do a checkup on me. Make, make sure every, sometimes we just, especially when we're in, we're in worry and stress, we need to stop and say, Lord, help me see what is wrong. And this isn't for God's benefit. He's God. He already knows. He knows what's going on. He knows everything about everything. It's for our benefit. But and most of the time as you and I read this, we read this passage and we think of it in terms of other people. We, we don't look at this in terms of ourselves. We, we, we're good at praying this prayer, but for others. Lord, Lord examine that. I'm having trouble with, with my neighbor. Examine my neighbor's heart. I'm trying, having trouble with my boss at work. God, God help my, examine my boss's heart. But we don't pray it in terms of ourselves. You see, we can see truth for others, but it's more difficult to see it in ourselves. And David knows that. David stops and he says, God, help me. I'm not seeing this myself. I need your help so that I see clearly something that I'm doing wrong. Help, help me to change that. And we all have problem areas. We just do. In the different areas of our life, we have what we refer to as blind spots. They're things that we may not even see. That's why we call them blind spots because we don't see them. And we have them in, in the area of our finances in our lives. We can have them in our relationships. We have them in, in, in every, every area that we're in. We, we can have them in, a, in, our, in not just our finances, but our career even beyond that. We, even with our health, we, we have blind spots, things that we don't see. Things, even with our kids and, and, our, and our spouse. And, and we know we have blind spots in, in terms of politics because we, we just see things one way. We don't even want to consider looking at it the other way. And we have blind spots in our relationship with God. And in your notes there, I left a space there for blind spots. You can fill them in. Maybe you're thinking of some right now. And, you, and just go ahead and write it right in. And some of us would, would, would say, yeah, I've, I've got a few blind spots, and, I, and I'm working on them. And some of us would even say, you know what, I've got a whole box full of them. And, and I don't know that I'll even get to Write them down, not only as we go through this message, but as, as you stop and as we go through the week, and you, and you in your studies with the Lord in the morning, stop and go through, go through that passage of Scripture that David gives us in Psalms there. And say, Lord, help, help me see the blind spots. Help me see the things. Help me, help me know clearly what is causing my worry and my stress. Because if you see it clearly, then you can begin to deal with it. Then, then you can, get, can go through the process of allowing God to deal with it in your life. So it's so important that we stop and find out what the problem areas are. Second thing in your notes is we need to remember that worrying is useless. It is absolutely useless. Jesus in Matthew Chapter 6 says this, and he's talking about worrying. 
He said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You know, as, as I read that passage of Scripture, I'm tempted to read it one way. I'm tempted to forget the part that he starts out with. Jesus starts out saying, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. He doesn't say, don't live your life. He doesn't say, don't be faithful. He doesn't say, give it your, don't give it your all. He says, don't worry about it. Our, our culture, the very lives that you and I live, the world that we live in is designed by God, and it's a sowing and reaping culture. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to do things. He wants us to move forward in every area of our life. He wants us to be diligent in the areas of our lives. So he's not saying, don't do that. He's not saying, I don't want you to bother eating or drinking. No, he wants us to eat or drink. He's not saying, don't worry about your body. No, he wants us to keep our bodies in good shape. And he says, what will you wear? He doesn't want he doesn't want me to stand up here on the platform and look out and all of you are wearing wrinkled clothes that don't match each other and you look horrible and you look like slobs. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to do all of that stuff, but I don't want you to worry. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's saying, I, I want to be the most important thing in your life. That's where I want you to live. And if something comes up and you start worrying about it and find yourself in stress, that is not what I want you to do. And then he caps it off by saying, this is Jesus now, so you got to listen. He caps it off by saying, can any one of you, by worrying, add one single hour to your life? Jesus is saying, there's a whole bunch of bad things that worrying is going to do for you. And the list of good things that worrying is going to do for you, it's the same as the list that we had this morning. Zero, zip, zilz, nada. Don't worry. Jesus says, don't worry. The medical world tells us, don't worry. I looked at some statistics. And uh, let, me, let me give you a few of them. 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. We, we worry, and 40% of the things that you and I spend our time worrying about absolutely never happen. Some statistics have that number even higher. 30% of the things we worry about are things in the past that can't be changed. Regrets that we have, mistakes that we've made, there's nothing we can do about them, and yet we still, something in the past in the present, we still worry about, which is actually going to affect our future. 12%, we worry about health problems that usually never occur. 10%, petty things, miscellaneous worries, things like, did I lock the door? Did I turn the lights off? Did I feed the dog? Not, did I feed the cat? It's, did I feed the dog? 
And we, we find ourselves worrying about these. The reality is Jesus calls us. He says, listen, it, it is useless to worry. Don't do it. Brings us to the third point. And that's Jesus looking at you and I square in the face and saying, cast your worries on me. Take your worries and place them on me. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this. It says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Another version says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. You know, when something is useless, we, we just want to get rid of it. We, we, if it's useless, we, we just want, I want if it's something's useless, we, we want it out of our lives. But it's interesting, when, when we're worried about someone and, and someone around us says, just don't worry about it, you continue to worry about it. Sometimes you even worry about it more when someone says, don't worry about it. One of the things that I've noticed about me when I find myself in a place where I'm worrying or I'm stressed, some of you may be a little bit worried that I'm going to fall because I'm so close to the edge, right? When I find myself in a place that I'm, I'm worrying or I'm stressed, one of the things that I notice about me, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I see so clearly about me is that usually it's because there's an area in my life or something in my life where I'm actually not following a biblical principle or, or I'm not doing what I know the Lord would want me to do in that, in that uh, situation or, or, or in that area of my life. For me, it, it seems to always drift back to, to an issue that, that I know that God wants me to do it different than the way I'm doing it. And as time goes on, I just get more and more uncomfortable. And that's when worry comes in and stress comes in. So I read this passage of Scripture. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know what, you know what God doesn't say there? He doesn't say, listen, when you're worrying, just drop it. When you're worrying, just forget about it. He says, cast your cares on me. In other words, stop and think about it and find out what it is you're worrying about. Let's know what's going on so we know how to pray, so we know what to do it, and we're obedient to Jesus, and, and, and we plan and we prepare, and we actually do what he says, and it's a good thing. We cast it on him. We actually go through the process and thinking about it, and casting it on him. And that's what he tells us to do. And, and what he's saying, what we're saying there is, Lord, I'm taking my concerns. I'm taking this situation. I'm, I'm taking the outcome of this situation, and I'm willing to give it to you. Because if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to stay stressed. I'm going to keep on worrying. So I'm, I'm simply going to be obedient. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, and I'm, I'm going to put this over on your shoulders. I'm going to focus in. I'm going to pinpoint the problem area. I'm going to recognize that worrying is worthless, and, and I'm going to give it to you. 
for years and years growing up in church, sitting where you are with my dad being up here, I can remember a number of times my dad gave an illustration on trusting God. He reached back into, into history a little bit and us up in New York City, the north of us is New York State and Niagara Falls and we'd, we'd, we'd all been there and, and understood the falls and, and how vast it was and in the mid-1800s, 18, probably about 1847, if I remember correctly, there was a, uh, a famous guy named uh, Blondini, and uh, he actually walked across the falls in a tightrope. And uh, it wasn't a steel cable. It was actually a rope. It, it was probably about three inches in diameter, and the span was over 1,000 feet long. And it was, it was so long that even when it was pulled tight, in the middle, it sagged about 60 feet down. And Blondini would, got up, and, and he'd go all the way across it. And, and I mean, he, they promoted this thing to no end in their day. The newspapers were all there. Every time he did it, it was such a big deal. And he went it across forward. He went across backwards. He actually uh, did it blindfolded. He did it in a gorilla suit one time. And, he, and another time, he walked across it with his manager on his shoulders all the way across Niagara Falls. And uh, uh, there was one time that he did it, and he stopped in the middle, and he had a, a little torch in a pan, and he actually cooked an egg, and he ate the egg while he was on the rope in the middle of the falls. This guy was an unbelievable showman, and, and, he, and he, was, he was really, really good at this. And, and then he took a wheelbarrow all the way across to one side and to the other side, and, and, and then he stopped and he talked to the crowd there, and he said, how many, of you how many of you think I can get back across it with the wheelbarrow? And everybody said, yeah, we know you can do it. Go ahead and do it. And he said, how many of you think that I can do it with somebody in the wheelbarrow? Yeah, you can do it. I know you can do it. Okay, which one of you is willing to get in the wheelbarrow? See, it's a different story, trusting somebody when you're trusting them with your life. And God is saying to you and I, and, and in so many of the areas of our lives, look, we're, we're his children. We're following Christ. And all of us, you know, we, some, we struggle in different areas. He's saying, get in the wheelbarrow. I got this. Get in the wheelbarrow. God is saying, trust me with your life. I, I want to give you three reasons to trust him. They're not in your notes, but, but you, you, you have three lines underneath number three, and I think, I think you can get away with squeezing them in there. There are three reasons to really trust him with your life, and the first one is he has unlimited power. God has unlimited power. He's God. He can do anything. He's big enough and strong enough to do anything anything, and he is your heavenly father, which means he's got your back. You know he's got your back. Some of us grew up in church, and, and we think that God is, God is always just out to get us. And how on earth church flipped that sucker around and threw it at us, I have no idea. But that is not who he is. He has unlimited power, and the second thing is he has the best solution. He's God. There's nothing he doesn't know. Proverbs alone tells us he has the best solutions. 
even at a time when the solution that God has is not the one that we're thinking of. And I get nailed on this one all the time because I'm thinking, well, here's what God ought to do, and God does something else. And I'm thinking, okay, so it's me and it's God. I wonder who's really got the best idea here. And so often, I still think I do. I forget who he is. And he's saying, I want you to trust me. And we're in this process of learning to trust him. And we sang it this morning. He is so faithful. We forget to stop and look back. We gotta, we've got to, as we're driving along following Christ, we need to glance at that rearview mirror often enough to remember what he's done. You can't stay focused on the mirror. You'll crash into something, but you, you need to glance at it and, and look at the things that he's done in your life and in my life. And the third thing is this. God has unending love for you. He has unending. Our human love is not unending. Some of us grew up with parents that, that, that didn't even love us. And so we're warped in terms of our concept of parental love. And so we're warped in terms of our concept of love with God. So we're in a process of learning and allowing him to love us so that we can learn to love him back. He has unending love for you. And this one, by the way, is the most important. Because if we just had one and two, God being all-powerful and God knowing everything, and you didn't have number three, one and two would be no use to you whatsoever. But because we have his unending love, we have all three of them with our heavenly Father who loves us with an unending love, who is all-powerful and knows everything. When you stop and understand that, and the reality is sometimes we still struggle trusting him, even in light of who he is and what he has. And we still worry and doubt. We do that. He says, I, I, don't, I don't want you to do that. His love is so immense. Cast my cares on him. There's a practical aspect to this that's, that's really a big deal. See, worrying is a state of mind. Worrying is a thought process that we choose to live in. We can choose to worry or we can choose to trust. Those are our choices, guys. We're either going to worry, which means we're doing exactly what Jesus tells us not to do, or we're going to trust him. With, and you can't do both at the same time. It's virtually impossible. You have to choose which one you're going to do which makes worrying a state of mind. And God says, choose me. Trust me. Put the full weight of your future on my shoulders. Get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> Get in the wheelbarrow. And then, number four, live in the peace that he provides. Live in the peace that God himself provides. There's a passage of scripture, one of my absolute favorite passages of scripture. 
Matter of fact, I look, part of it's in your notes right there. Philippians chapter uh, uh, four, verses six and seven. And, and, and the, what you need to do right next to that, you just need to write verses four through eight. Okay, I've given you six and seven, but, but I really want you to embrace verses four through eight because he starts out by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. The Lord is near. And then he goes on and he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in all things, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing this. Paul is writing this from a life of, uh, of following and serving God, and he's watched it happen, and he's lived it, and he's writing it not as, maybe if you, somehow if you can, no, he's saying, he's saying, this works, just do it, just do it, be anxious about nothing, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, come to God with it, with thanksgiving, being reminded of who he is and what he's done in your life. If we remember what he's done and if we stop and remember where our life was when we came to Christ and where we are now and how, how much we've changed, regardless of what we've been through, how much we've changed from when we met him to where we are now, how can you not be thankful. But that's another thing we forget to do. We, we keep asking and asking and moving forward and asking, and, and, we, and we, we don't stop and thank him. Paul writes that in here. He said, ask. This is your heavenly father. He wants to do. As a matter of fact, in scripture it says, more than we could ever ask or imagine. So Paul says, ask, but but remember to be thankful and then present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. When God pursues, and Jesus, when he walked this earth, he always pursued the heart. He could easily get the mind because there's nothing he doesn't know. He could solve any problem. He could answer any question. But he pursued the heart, because Jesus knew that if he got the heart, everything else was going to come along with it. If he got the heart, the mind was going to come along with it. If he got the heart, the wallet was going to come along with it. Every area of our lives, if he has our heart, then we are his, and obedience will be an easier process for us to embrace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's saying, take your worries and hand them to me. If you are going to count on, if you're going to do it your way, if you are going to count on, on yourself to solve all your problems, 
then you are going to live a life of worry and stress. No matter how wealthy you may be, and no matter how influential you may be. We think if I had enough influence, if I just knew enough people, if I had enough money, if you're going to rely on you to solve all your problems, you're going to live a life of worry and stress. You can have an endless amount of money. It's not going to fix that problem. You can have all the influence in the world, and it's not going to fix that problem. Jesus, number five, he wants to lighten our load. I'll tell you what the question is not. The question is not, can he? The question is, will we let him? He can. He is God. I've given you the three most important reasons to trust him. He is God. And you know what he doesn't want to do? He, he doesn't want to give you everything you need. He doesn't want to give me everything I need. He wants to be everything I need. He wants to be everything you need. God was so intentional about saying, I want I, I, I want to be your savior, but that's your choice. And I want to be in relationship with you. And that, too, is your choice. I want to be your provider. I want to be your protector. I want to be your professor. I, I, want, I want you to have my knowledge. I want you to have my very thought process. My Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. I want you to think and move the way I do. He doesn't want us to just do things for him. He wants us to be on a journey with him. See, Christianity is, there's, there's no other religion like Christianity. All the religions of the world will tell you, do this. If you want to be successful spiritually, do this. With Christianity, Jesus steps right up to his heavenly father, and he does what his heavenly father asks him to do so that you and I could live in the benefit of that. Christianity, it's not do this, it's already done. And Jesus' arms are wide open to you and I. And we're his creation. He loves us with the apple of his eye. His love for us, I don't think is explainable. I know I don't understand it, but that's who he is. And that's the privilege we live in. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to worrying, we still worry. We still choose worry. My prayer this morning, as you and I recognize in our lives, some of us are worrying or stressed even now, as you recognize that, let's, let's go through this process. Let's pinpoint it. Let's understand that worrying is useless. Understand that God loves us with all of his heart. And he wants the best for us. That's who he is. And we are the apple of his eye. We are his loved children. That's truth. 
Why do we worry? I don't know. We just do. Why don't you stand together with me? Let me pray with you. This morning, if, you, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, as Danny said, and you want to be baptized, I've got to tell you, our team is ready for you out there, and we're excited about baptizing you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, here's the deal. It's a matter of understanding that he is the Son of God and that God sent his Son, Jesus, to be your Savior and my Savior. This is a broken world. We, we all know that. It, it's, it, it just is. It's broken. And as a result of that, we need a Savior. God knew this from the beginning. This was his plan all the way through, and he sent his Son to die for our sins. And all we need to do is to, is to believe that. And once we recognize that and believe it, we automatically become his child. We're no longer just his creation. You say, well, aren't we all God's, God's children? No, 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 no. We're all God's creation. But, but, but being one of his children takes a choice. It takes ex- believing that Jesus is the son of God and he died for our sins and accepting him as our savior. And it's as simple as that. And we do it with our mind and we do it with our heart. And we become part of the family of God just by doing that. Listen, this is no lighthearted decision. This is a big deal and it is serious and it is not just this world, but it is eternity. And what does he want? He wants that for you if you've never done that. The Bible says he's not willing that anybody should miss this. But he's also very clear that this is the only way. God sent his son to be our savior. And only by him can we be saved. Let's bow our heads. Let me pray with you in closing. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the heart and life of our church. God, as we're going through this series, thank you for what you're doing in my heart. Thank you for the changes that you're making in my life. There's even others in our church family who've expressed, Lord, we are so thankful that you love us so much that you pursue our hearts and you pursue us in areas and you lead us in your ways in our relationship with you. And if there are any of you here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, every head bowed, every eye closed, and you've accepted Christ as your Savior just for my sake, because God already knows. Just slip up your hand, put it right back down. Yes, 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 six, yes. Lord, your word says all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes home to you. And we're all sinners, but for your grace. Father, thank you this morning for the six hands that were raised, accepting you as their personal Savior and becoming a part of our spiritual family and stepping into a family where they forever, through all of eternity, will be yours and be with you and with us. Thank you that we can celebrate that this morning. Father, I pray that in each of their hearts, as your Holy Spirit moves into their lives and begins to change areas in their lives and brings your presence and your joy and your wisdom and your knowledge and your family 
We look forward to that in their lives. Father, bless them. And all of us here this morning as we leave, and those who are going to step outside and be baptized, and if you're one of those six, I'd encourage you, do it this morning. We're ready for you out there. Lord, as this service continues and steps outside these doors to baptism, we pray for your continued blessing. We enjoy your continued love, and we are so grateful for who you are and who you are in our lives. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen.